Digital 410 proudly presents the Fail to Fail podcast with your host, Don Abernathy. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the third episode of the Fail to Fail podcast. Now, for those of you keeping track at home, yes, there are technically four episodes, but there are actually three legitimate original episodes of the Fail to Fail podcast, because one of the episodes, episode one, is really... A repeat, or a stowaway, if you will, from the Waterman and D-Train show, and that was our first interview with Morgan Moose Wright from American Ninja Warrior fame. Then our second episode was with Mike Frenshaw, and then the third episode is with our new co-host on the Waterman and D-Train show, my brother Gordon Abernathy. And tonight, we are going to have another guest on. But before we get to all that, let me say this. The uh, Fail to Fail podcast is recorded here in the Act Computer Studio in Cape Coral, Florida, the home of Digital 410 Productions. Um, this is also where the What's the Scuttlebutt podcast and the aforementioned Waterman and D-Train show podcast are recorded. And I want to uh, thank you guys for tuning in and uh, thank those of you who have stuck around for all four episodes now. This is the At Computer Studio. At Computers has been uh, servicing all Southwest Florida since 2004. They specialize in medical clinics, veterinarian clinics, businesses big and small, drywall, AC, you name it, they do it. They do do residential as well, but they primarily focus on businesses and business networking. But not only networking, all things technology. Yes, we roll out servers. We can expand your network. We can expand your Wi-Fi. We can install video surveillance cameras on your network, tablets, um, broken laptops, broken computers, residential repair, pretty much anything. You get yourself a new uh, ring doorbell you don't really want to mess with. We can help you out there. Um... Simply safe. If you get one of those home security systems, you really don't want to basically trust your own knowledge to make your family safe. We can install those for you as well. Give us a call at 239-283-1120 or go to act-capecoral.com. Now, I know what you're saying, Don. I like your podcast. Um, I listen to a few of them. I like the Fail to Fail podcast, but I do not live in Southwest Florida, so how can Act Computers help me? Easy, friends. It's called technology. This is the modern day, 2019. As long as you have internet, they can connect to you. So give them a call, tell them what's going on, they'll set up a scheduled time, they'll call you back, they'll instruct you to go to their website, act-capecoral.com, and on the right-hand side, right below the search box, it says click here for remote support. You click on that, it'll take you to their website, splashtop.exe will automatically download you, launch that, give them the nine-digit code, and voila, they are in your computer and they can help you with whatever problems you may be having. So it's Act Computers at 239-283-1120 act-capecoral.com. You can find them on Facebook and Twitter as well. Now, you want to support the show, but your computer's working just fine. Your computer's savvy yourself. You really don't need the help of Act Computers, even though they can't help you. But you want to support the show, go to d-410.com. On the right-hand side, there is a link that says become a patron. Please sign up for our Patreon page. we got three tiers. We're not asking for much. Tier number one is a dollar, one dollar a month. Tier number two is the OG5 plan. I know it's OG5, but it's not $5 nay, it's $3.50 a month. OG5 refers to the first five hardcore listeners we had at the Waterman and D-Train show. So the OG5 plan is named after them. But it is, in fact, only $3.50 a month for that tier. And then, if you really like us, if you love us, you can join the Long Arms Deep Pocket Plan. $7.50 a month. After month number two, we will send you a t-shirt of your choice from our storefront. We will send you a t-shirt of your choice from the Digital 410 storefront. We'll reach out to you, say, hey, send us the color, the style, the size you want. Give us your address, and we'll send you a shirt on us. So that is the second way. So you can, at Computers, great sponsor. 
Patreon. We'd love you there. Or you can just go to d-410.com, click on the merch link, order a shirt to your delight. We make a little bit of money off of that. But if your computer's working fine, you don't want to sign up for Patreon, and you don't need a t-shirt, but you do shop on Amazon, please, once again, go to d-410.com, click on the Amazon link, save that link to your favorites, to your toolbar, to your desktop, wherever you put it that you know where it's at. And the next time you click on, and the next time you shop on Amazon, simply use that link. And it doesn't cost you anything extra, doesn't cost you any money whatsoever, but Amazon will kick some coins our way, and you can support the show that way. So thank you so much. All the uncomfortable housekeeping is out of the way. Now let's get on with the show. Guest number four on the Fail to Fail podcast is a gentleman I've known for a long time, but we will get down that road later. It's Mr. Christopher P. Stanley. He is the uh, partial founder of uh, a children's book company that you may be aware of if you have young children. The first book they came out with, I believe, was called The Tree Watcher, which was very successful, which led them to go on to starting their own children's publishing company called Jump Splash Books. But I will let Christopher explain that all to us because no one knows better about that than him. Joining us on the phone from my home state, Ohio, Mr. Christopher P. Stanley. Chris, how have you been? I have been very well, man. Thank you so much for having me on. It's great to talk to you. It's good to talk to you. Now, sadly, with the exception of the occasional, hey, how you doing? Nice, happy birthday. You know, great kids. Right. Love to see the photos on Facebook. I haven't talked to you since probably 1997 because... I think that's correct. You and I graduated from the same high school. We yep. ran in the same circle group of friends, but our extracurricular activities were greatly different. You were in organized sports and some track and all that, which ironically, 24 years later now, I do run. But at the time, I was into <laughs> skateboarding and all this other crazy stuff. But we were involved in some same activities. We knew each other. We hung out a few times. We had some friends. But I graduated in 1997. And so once I graduated, I was basically... Out of Grove City, I lived on the west side of Columbus, and then fast forward to 2001, I was off to California, and the rest is history. So this is kind of a homecoming for us, and it's been a long time coming. How have you been, friend? I have been really well. You know, it's funny you say that, 97. I mean, it seems like it was yesterday. It does not seem that's been, you know, 22 years oh, Jesus, since we have last spoken. I mean, it's unbelievable. It's come by in a blink of an eye. Yeah, I just turned 41 on Saturday. Oh, my God. Well, first of all, happy birthday. The last I time I, I saw you, <laughs> you were 17 <laughs> and I was 18. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's it's crazy. You know, um, I'm uh, out of Grove City, too, and I my I do have family living there. My brother-in-law is still a police officer there. So I get back on occasion, but it, it, it's, it's neat to go back. But it's not the same town we knew, man. It, it, you know, remember past Stringtown Row, like with the White Castle? and mm-hmm. That was it. There was nothing else past there. That was it. Now that's like... The entire city now. It's crazy. I was up there um, June. My nephew graduated high school in um, Boone County, Kentucky, which is on the other side of Cincinnati. And so I drove up to uh, Columbus for the day. I was real quick turnaround, didn't have much time. I actually drove up there to sell a Vietnam-era tool chest to uh, another high school friend of ours, Nick Tollick, because his elementary-age son loves military history, and they don't know why. And so he bought him this tool chest for his birthday. And so I actually drove this thing from Florida to Kentucky to Columbus. But no, you're absolutely oh, wow. right. Grove City has completely changed. And um, I will say the first donut I had eaten in a year because of my <laughs> diet plan was Jolly Pirate. I miss yeah. him so much. 
you know, it, it's so funny because I talk about Jolly Pirate Donuts with such reverence around. You would think, you know, it's ridiculous. I mean, they are amazing, and I have passed this on to my kids. So whenever we get a chance to go down to Grove City, we have to stop by Jolly Pirate Donuts. It's, it's really funny. Well, the big difference between Jolly Pirate and everybody else, especially nowadays. Now, this maybe wasn't the case so much in 1997, but in 2019 for sure. Um, they still to this day make their donuts in house. Newsflash right. for you, ladies and gentlemen: Dunkin' Donuts does not. They get it from a regional bakery. <laughs> That's why they're the same quality as what you get at Seven Eleven. But I used to go to Jolly Pirate at like three in the morning on Saturdays when we were in high school because that's oh, yeah. when they were back there cooking it all. And right. I'd get them it smelled so amazing. And I'd get them fresh out of the fryer. They were so good. Yeah. Well, and you, you know who was uh, who was the main cook there, right? I didn't know back then, but I I found out after um, that store was actually going to close up because the right. owners wanted to retire. Right. Yeah. I had no idea. Like I was friends with you know the Mastro Giannakis's. How's that I for mean, a last and, name, ladies and gentlemen? Mastro Giannakis's. <laughs> In this case, right. Ellen Mastro Giannakis. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I had no idea this whole time. Like, you know, if I had known, just think about. I could have tapped right into the resource. Oh, talk about regret. Maybe that's why they kept it on the download. They didn't want to be used for their donut pipeline. <laughs> and they would have surely have been, so I can understand. I almost walked out of there with a baseball cap. I, I truly did, but not a, not a slander on them, but it was a trucker-style cap, and that's just not my bag, so I, I passed right. on it. But <laughs> I considered walking out of there with a, with a Jolly Pirate hat. But we digress greatly. We're playing a little... <laughs> reunion show here now just a little review the reason we call this podcast fail to fail is two reasons there's it's kind of morphed as most podcasts do but um not to sound narcissistic but i kind of got the idea based off of my life now let's roll back a little bit um growing up i was in ld classes i have a learning disability so in ele- mm-hmm. elementary all, all the way through high school learning disability and reading math and science um Senior year of high school, did not have to take the reading, math, or science proficiency test for Ohio. Interestingly enough, 22 years later, the guy who hosts a World War II-based podcast did pass senior year with a C in history. Hmm, figure that one out. Right. But I remember um, they would take us to the Buckeyes Boys Ranch, and this is where the uh, juvenile delinquents or the mistreated children would live in dorms. But they would take us down there, and they would give us menial task um, evaluations to see what we're good at doing what medial tasks, because clearly we weren't college material. Clearly we weren't going to do anything of value with our lives. So they were trying to find something menial we were good at so they can set us down the path of a good minimum wage job to hold us over until we died. And that's, right. you know, that's kind of the way they, they looked at things back then. I mean, cause back then I say LD, well, that's what they called it. They called it LD classes. Nowadays they have acronyms and different ways to not be so blunt about the fact that you have learning disability or as me and the aforementioned Nick Tollick would say literally dumb because you know we're all smart asses and you know when they put you in a small room closet for those three courses and the rest of the kids are walking to what they called the mainstream classes that makes you feel real good um right you you kind of saw the world for what it was and so you know I did not go to college I did not take SAT classes uh courses I didn't even take the SAT test and so, to this day, I still can't do any math whatsoever. Ironically, I do read college-level books. All my leisure reading is on World War II. Um, back in 04, no, back in 2001, I moved to California, got my Microsoft certification, 
um, MCP, MCSC, A+, all that. I have been running a successful IT firm since 2004. I've worked in radio for six years, and now I host three podcasts. And so I looked at all that stuff, and I said, well, by all and large, and by the path that was plowed for me by my school system and by my the people of standing in my community, I was basically set up to be somewhat of a failure in life. At least that's the way they kind of treated me. And somehow, with all the things that were in my way, I failed to fail. And so I said, well, I want to talk to other people who are kind of in that same way. Well, that started out, and then it also morphed into the second topic, and this is more like where you, you fall into, and that is people who have found success in paths, career paths that in the past um, you had to go to large corporations for. You had to try to get your foot into a door, i.e., such as starting your own children's publishing company, writing your own children's yeah. book. And so, no, you don't fall into the category such as I did in that way of fail to fail, but you failed to fail in the career path in which you chose, which is one, children's right. book, and two, now you are part owner of a successful bar in Cleveland. And so let's get into it. Obviously, you graduated yeah. Grove City High School in 1998. Take it from I'll there. Tell you what, it, if you don't mind, I want to touch on this, uh, the education field sure. for a minute. So, um, you know, in school, like I was always identified as like a bright kid. Mm -hmm. However, I was never on the honor roll, you know, I was not, do you remember the Renaissance club? Mm -hmm. Like I was not, uh, I was not in those things. And I, I had found that if it was something I loved and was passionate about, like history, for example, I was dialed in. I knew everything there was to know straight A's, you know, on the, I was an AP history. I took the college test, got a perfect on it. That same year that I got a perfect on the, the AP us history test was actually got me credit college credits, I failed geometry and had to go to summer school in Columbus Public. Wow. Right. So <laughs> something wasn't meshing there. And as I look back now, you know, it, it, the way our education system is designed, it is for people who fall right in the middle. You know, we try to continuously fit square pegs in round holes. You know, our education system, this isn't groundbreaking. This is known. It's designed from the Industrial Revolutionary model where it's factories, you know, that's why we have bell schedules and we go from here to here to here. That's how it's designed. And so people who, you know, you are clearly a very intelligent driven man, you know, but they're just like you were saying, oh, LD, you put them in here, you know, because you couldn't do calculus. How many times have you used calculus in your life? Actually worse, I can't do <laughs> like, division. <laughs> right, you know, it's, it's crazy. And you know, like for me, like why did I fail geometry my, my junior year? You know, it, 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 our education system, this is going to be a whole different tangent, but it, it frustrates me. So I have, um, my daughter is on an IEP for reading now. And uh, just to see, you know, to be in those, that, the, the seat where you were, you know, it, it's so frustrating that we just, we, we refuse to evolve on our education policy and it, and it drives me crazy. But back to me personally, you know, Right after high school. Well, actually, you know what? I'm not on a time schedule here. I know you're not either. Let's yeah. dig a little deeper into this. Um, not to get. Sure. I, I like to keep the, my family's life private, but we'll get in a little bit. I have a couple of teachers yeah. in my direct immediate family, and one of those teachers is a fourth grade teacher, and she teaches what they call the low low. These are the kids yeah. that they're not quite um, 
special ed, they're definitely not learning disabled, but they are in the mainstream, but they're at the low end of the pool. And so what they do is they take these 25, or starting next year here in Lee County, uh, 32 kids in one classroom, and they give them a curriculum that's going to supposedly meet their needs, but allow them to pass the Florida testing schedule. But the idea is let's give them a teacher that can teach at their learning level so that they can achieve. And this particular teacher has done that. Um, whenever she gets her orientations and reviews, all that, she's very, administration loves her. But she got very frustrated because she got right near the end of the year, right before credit cards, not credit cards, right before, that comes in the future, kids, <laughs> right before report cards, she got a memo from the administration to remind her and other teachers in different grade levels teaching the low lows that their kids are low low. And since they are low achievers, none of them should be getting A's and or B's on the report cards. Right. Let that sink so, in, ladies and gentlemen. So, technically, in order to get that government money and to keep these kids considered low, low, they are not allowed. Not saying they can't achieve, they are not allowed to get A's and or B's on the report cards. Even though the infrastructure is laid out so that you have a teacher who's supposed to be good enough to teach these kids at the level in which they learn to help them succeed, and even if these kids do, in fact, earn A's and B's, technically they're not allowed to earn them. But do their parents know this? No. And so you may have a child with some disappointed parents who's doing homework with them every night who can't understand why Billy, all the work we put in, you're still not bringing home an A's and B's. And Billy's probably still getting in trouble. But little does Billy's dad know that he is making A's and B's. The teacher's just not allowed to give them to him. Right. That's our education system. Of education policy that really, you know, and it's it's bipartisan. So there's blame to go around, you know, between Bush, No Child Left Behind, and Obama, the um, all health. I can't remember the name of it now, which is ridiculous because I talk about it every day. But anyway, between, you know, two administrations, two, you know, there's blame to go around with every single party in the United States. But we've created a culture of testing where all that Mm -hmm. matters is the testing scores. And to your point, you know, part of uh, what's in that testing is called standing learning objectives. And so we have to, you know, teachers have to take those at the beginning of the year, throughout the course of the year, and then again at the end of the year. And if you show improvement, teachers in Ohio anyway are graded, you know, as successful. So the sort of unwritten rule, and this goes to your point, is kids have to do very poorly on the first standing standard learning objective of the year so that way later on in the school year when they test them they're showing improvement if a kid aces the standard learning objective there's no room to show improvement yeah i mean how messed up have we made our education system you know it's completely ridiculous this whole culture of test 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 in my opinion has to go away and um, I, Ohio is one of only 13 states that has high stakes testing for graduation. And it's proven even some colleges are, are dropping ACT and SAT scores down from their list of things that make someone successful because, you know, intelligence does not mean you will be a successful person. It's hard work and it's grit and it's determination. And those are three things That's, I want to I want to touch on. But before we get too far right. down the path, you brought up No Child Left Behind, which 
is very interesting because one of the things I tend to bring up on my other podcast, The Waterman and D-Train Show, is good intentions always result in bad consequences. And here is the perfect example with No Child Left Behind. I understand the original idea behind it because, once again, I am a product of it. Back in the mm-hmm. early 80s, my parents got divorced. Um, we lived in Kentucky at the time. The court systems were always slow, so custody battle, custody battle. Part of the year I lived with my dad, part of the year I lived with my mom. It took my mom a while to go from being a stay-at-home wife with no job to being a divorced woman who had to find a job for her to find stability, which meant, as we've all seen, constantly moving, which meant going to different school districts. And so I was at first grade at the time, and so I probably went to three to maybe five elementary schools my first grade year. And at the time, they did not have a no child left behind, so that meant each elementary school was teaching a curriculum at their own path and a curriculum that their um, local school districts made up. And so I had no root fund founding. I had no fundamentals at all because I went to so many different damn elementary schools. And so, in result, I got held back my first grade year. Finally, my dad got custody of, me, custody of me. We moved to Ohio my second grade year, and I maintained the same schools from Hamilton South up until sixth grade when I transferred over to Park Street. And then I rode out the rest of my school years in Grove City. But because of all that moving my first grade year, it really affected my fundamentals, which some could argue maybe led to my learning disability. And so someone got the idea, hey, when we have kids bouncing around like this, we need them to have stability as far as their education goes. So we need to come up with a program that turned into No Children Left Behind, which is no matter what school you go to, what time of the year, they're all going to be loosely teaching the same curriculum. They may be a week or two off from each other. Well, once you get politicians involved and funding involved, kiss it goodbye. So what started out as a good idea, once all the pork got thrown into it, it's a shit show. Absolutely. Yeah, and you know, now all that matters is being able to pass the test. So teachers, you know, you can talk to teachers about this for days and mm-hmm. no one's happy about it. But the nature of the job is, you know, what real life skills are you taught in school? You know, are, are you taught about credit cards? Are you, nope. you know, are you taught about paying your bills? Are you taught about things? No, you're only taught what is necessary to pass the test because, you know, that's how schools are funded. That's how some teachers are paid in some instances. And that's how in, you know, states like Ohio, you have to pass in order to graduate high school. You know, it, it doesn't matter if you have straight A's in language arts and you are doing great, you're killing it, you're a great uh, student, your teacher loves you, but if you're a student that has test anxiety or you know, maybe your parents got in a fight that night, you didn't sleep, and you come and you take a bad test and you don't pass it, they're going to, you're not going to graduate high school. Nope. You know, it, it's, it's completely ridiculous. And you know, almost universally, People say oh, this is a flawed system and it shouldn't be this way, and you know educators agree. So why, if it's you know accepted, this is a bad way to educate our students, is it continually being perpetuated? Follow the money. That's exactly right. You know, testing companies make millions and millions of dollars, um, <laughs> creating packets and booklets and study guides and mandates and everything else, and you know. I'd be interested to see what legislators have been lobbied by these testing oh, companies and forget you know, about to keep these policies in place. Well, not it's, only it's do you bad. have the not only do you have the testing lobby, 
not only do you have the education lobby, but you got the teachers' union lobby. And nothing stronger than any union lobby. So forget about oh, it. Hell no. Right. <laughs> yeah, it's it's sad and it's frustrating. And you know, Americans are a smart group of people. You know, they said World War Two. Uh, you know, half the scientists thought the A bomb was theoretically impossible. Well, we did it. Yep. Well, like three years, right? Mm-hmm. You know, you're telling me we can't solve problems if we came together and said, okay, this is the problem. How do we solve it? We could absolutely do it, you know, but money has so corrupted our politics and everything that I, I don't know how we're ever going to get anything major done again. No, money has, money has corrupted it and people's, well, I'm sorry, not people's, politicians' unwillingness to talk about uncomfortable topics because sometimes problems have solutions that are uncomfortable to talk about, especially in the social realm. And so nothing will ever change. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. so you graduated high school. Now, clearly yep. based on the first five minutes of this conversation, clearly, uh, due to the lack of, uh, knowledge you have on the education system, either you married into it or you yourself went down that road. <laughs> Where did you go after so, high school? Uh, that's going to be a combination. Married into it. And I, I, was a teacher for a time period. Um, notice I am no longer a teacher. <laughs> but uh, so I graduated in 98. And I was told, you know, all, you know, back then, like you said, like, <clears throat> if you didn't go to tech school, you were supposed to go to college. Yep. Right. Um, and, you know, fast forward, we're finding out that, oh, maybe all kids don't need to go to college because they don't need to. Right. We're finding that out now. 22 mm-hmm. years later. But I did. I went away for my freshman year of college. And um, I did fine. I did like B's and C's. I didn't really apply myself. And then I came back. My sophomore year, I transferred into Ohio State. Well, I came from a very strict home life, a very bad home life. And I was not prepared for the amount of freedom one has at a place like Ohio State. Sure. And I qu- quickly failed out of there. I failed out of college after two quarters. And for those of you and who I'm aren't kinda... familiar with Ohio State, Ohio State, the college, not just the football team, um, this is the college where Columbus police had to pass a law that you couldn't have more than six keg per block party. <laughs> uh, this is the same campus yeah, we, that put... We regularly broke that. And six kegs is a lot of beer, mind you. And this is also the same college that put up what we used to affectionately refer to as the drunk cables. Uh, in order to keep the drunk kids out of a high street, they would put, um, I don't know, like five ot steel cables down the sidewalks to keep you corralled into the sidewalk so you wouldn't stumble in the traffic. And so, yes, Ohio State is a party school. <laughs> right. And so, you know, I quickly failed out of there. Um, at, right about halfway through my second quarter at Ohio State, I just stopped going. And I dropped out. Um, I was kind of foundering for a while and i decided um i went into emt school into the ohio fire academy um now i really only did that because i had a friend who was a firefighter i was like oh that sounds cool (laughs) i had no passion for it you know I, i wasn't particularly good at it either and um i was working as an emt for an ambulance service and just kind of had no direction no life plan um i finally you know history had always been a great love of mine. Like, you know, some people understand math and they just get it. Mm -hmm. I've kind of always understood history. Sure. Just kind of how it all pieces together 
and, you know, causes, consequences, all of that. It's just always made sense to me. And I have always loved it. So I decided, you know, about a year or so later that I was going to go back to college and I was going to become a history teacher. So I started back off at community college, worked my way up, and I, I went to um, Ohio Dominican University, which is just a, well, it was a small liberal arts university at the time. Now they have pretty much gutted their liberal arts program, which is sad. But um, so that's where I went. Now, I did finally, I was, you know, I graduated with my bachelor's degree in 2005. So I was like 25 years old when I finally graduated with my bachelor's degree. And, um, you know, at the time, the state of Ohio had a law that all teachers had to have their master's degree within, you know, three or four years of becoming a teacher after the bachelor's degree. So knowing that I wanted to pursue, you know, a, a career in education, I rolled into a graduate program and I did that. I got a teaching job. And of course, as soon as I graduated with my master's degree, Ohio rescinded that law. <laughs> which I'm, means I'm sure they I issued you a refund though, right? <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. You know, that extra $60,000 of loans I took out. Yeah, they were like, oh, no problem. We'll cover that for you. Yeah, you're better you for know, it. I mean, it, 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 I got a. So that also meant I was overqualified. Yeah. Because, you know, school districts can now pay someone with just a bachelor's degree way less than they have to pay someone with a master's degree. And it's created this whole other set of problems, you know. And so I kind of found it around. I, I worked at a charter school, which I really loved. Um, I did stuff with the Ohio Historical Society, which I really loved. Um, and then I kind of went and worked for Ohio State for a little bit in an education program. So I was in education for a while. And, uh, you know, my, my wife is a teacher as well. So I'm well-versed in the world of education. But, you know, I quickly became jaded with just sort of all the stuff we've been talking about. Sure. You know, as far as actually teaching and talking about history, I absolutely love it. I still miss it to this very day. Um, I did actually, I was an educational tour guide to DC when I, when I quit last year. Wow. So I did that for a while and I absolutely loved it. And I actually hope to do that again in the future. Um, but teaching, you know, with the politics and just the, the, everything that is going on in our society today, it's become a very hard job. You know, it's not an impossible task. Nothing's impossible, but it's, it's a very difficult task. Well, environment. as hard as and, it is to be a teacher in Columbus, Ohio in 2019, another Grove City alumni, one Mr. Martin Wazika, that poor son of a yeah. gun is teaching in New York City, and he right. doesn't exactly lean left, and so you want to talk about butting heads with half the people in your school. <laughs> yeah, you know, that's funny. I guess I didn't realize he was a teacher in New York City. I mean, I obviously keep up with him on Facebook and stuff, but that has to be tough. Yeah, I think yeah. it's I and think it's, technically uh, it's either the Bronx or Brooklyn, one of the th one of the two. But yeah, he's in New York. Wow. Yeah, so you know, I, I I went to college thinking I had to go to college. I had debt from you know my first year and a half of which I failed out. And you know, it was at that time, you know, when I did decide to go back and make it as a history teacher, you know, what got me through. And I don't say this to, to toot my horn, but you know, I would work as an EMT all night you know, go to school all day. I mean, it was just the hard work. I mean, mm -hmm. that's what it was. I am 
no smarter or better than any other person as a profession. I just decided I needed to do something in life and I wanted to. I set a goal and I followed it. And, you know, I'm constantly doing that now. So, you know, fast forward a little bit to uh, the tree watching. So one of the things I have always loved, telling stories. You know, and that's, I think, kind of goes hand in hand with history, right? All history really is, you're telling stories. Mm -hmm. And I've always been fascinated by that. And, um, you know, I've always been a, a decent writer. And, you know, I even got accepted to the Children's Writing Institute when I was like, 22 i sent in an example and you know i just didn't go i didn't do anything with it and uh one day i was walking with my um infant son at the time and walking around the neighborhood and the neighborhood had a bunch of like really old trees and you know i was not thinking of how beautiful the day was or or anything else i was just thinking about oh hell i've got there's dishes in the sink and i gotta pay this bill and i gotta do this and this and this and that and I, we were walking underneath this giant oak tree, and I just happened to glance down at my son at that time, and I noticed he was just staring straight up into these tree branches, just this, this look of awe and wonder on his face. And it just made me stop in my tracks. And I looked up, and then I noticed, you know, just how beautiful it was with the sun shining through, and the birds were singing, and you could hear children playing at the playground. It was just absolutely beautiful. It just stopped me in my tracks. And, you know, that moment really um, has kind of changed the course of my life because, you know, I was not being mindful of anything. You know, I was just constantly worrying about what I needed to do next and what needed to be done. And from that moment, that's where I wrote The Tree Watcher from. You know, it's just about basically, I mean, it's sort of a a love letter to my son, but it's, it's the overall thing mostly is, you know, being mindful of the beauty that surrounds us every single day, if only we stop to pay attention. And, you know, I thought I had something here, and I had no interest in dealing with the bureaucracy that is the publishing industry. No. (laughs) You know, to hear, like, I did research, of course, and I thought about submitting it, but the process seems so ridiculous and cumbersome and you know with draining technologies out like you mentioned earlier that didn't exist yeah. when we were in high school you know you can bring these things directly to market and directly to people and um you know i thought i had something and you know it was originally going to be a one-off book and um i actually did the illustrations myself for this but i had ideas for other books you know at that moment i kind of stopped and more books were just flowing out of me and i, I called my buddy out so Alex actually graduated. I don't know. Do you remember Alex Lavather? Oh, uh, vaguely. Different circles, so I think. Yeah, yeah, different circles. So he graduated with me in 98, and he is an artist. And I said, hey, man, you want to do some illustrations for this book I have? And he said, yeah, no problem. And we were going to go that route where I was going to write some books, and he was going to illustrate, and I might put one out or here or there. And then, you know, it kind of hit me, wait a minute why don't we create our own publishing company? We could actually start something here. And we did. I mean, we had to learn everything from the ground up. I mean, you know, talking about how to format books, how to get them, you know, printed, how to do proofs, all this stuff. And, you know, speaking of failing to fail, the tree watcher, (laughs) the tree watcher has been very well received and 
uh, I won a, an award for it when it came out and stuff. And you know, but when I first published the Tree Watcher, well, let's not be modest. I mean, I'm um, looking at the the cover. You won what a uh, five star award from what awards did that book win? Uh, yeah, Sawyer's Choice gave that one, but also um, the Giddle List, which publishes um, awards for independent picture books, it won one of the top ten picture books of 2016. Well, that's nothing um, to sleep on. Yeah, yeah. So you know, it's it, 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 it's it's nice, you know, <laughs> sure. nice sort of validation, but not why any author I think makes books, of course. No. But, um Yeah, but uh, well, where the hell was I going with that? Um, well, at some point you uh, oh. you started and then you came up with I dream your I dreamed I was series. I'm guessing. Right, right. So you know, but teaching our we had to teach ourselves this whole process. Mm -hmm. You know, so. On the fail, you know, not failing sort of motif, you know, it, it easily could have been overwhelming. It was overwhelming at times. You know, how do we format? How do we do this? We have to buy ISBNs. We have to do this. None of that stuff we knew or were prepared for. We just taught ourselves. We researched and we did it. And it was trial and error. So with the tree watcher, okay, so, you know, we just talked about some accolades and, and people love it. When it was first printed, I had a friend who was a professional editor she looked through it. My wife read through it a thousand times. I read through it a thousand times. I started selling it. Well, about two weeks later, I happened to just be flipping through again, and I saw a typo. My, <laughs> my heart, I mean, I thought I was going to die. <laughs> well, it's crazy. It's crazy you say that because having back going back to my learning disability, one of the problems I have, yeah. and I see the same thing, um, when I write something and then I read it, my mind autocorrects it because I'm not reading what's on the paper. I'm reading what's in my head because I just wrote it. And so when I publish yeah. these podcast pages and I post a page and I usually end up editing the stuff and publishing it at, at 12 in the morning and then I set a Facebook schedule to launch at 9 a.m. the next morning and then I see the post and I'll see a typo. You know, I, I read the thing six or seven times because my mind doesn't see what's on the paper. It sees what's in my mind. And so I had the same problem, and it's so disheartening. One time I remembered I interviewed a guy for What's the Scuttlebutt. He was in uh, the Netherlands, and I misspelled his name. And he's the one who pointed it out to me. And you want to talk about embarrassed. And it wasn't as simple yeah. as just changing the, the name on the website, because what happened was is when I uploaded the file, his name was in the file, and so it was on iTunes. And so I actually had to delete the file off of the, the server, let iTunes refresh before it would actually update the name with the correct spellings. And I felt like such a jerk. And it's, yeah. but yeah, I, I, so we've all been there. And it's crazy how that works. Right. I mean, you yourself, your wife's a you know, teacher, but, and maybe because you're too close to it, and that's where a distant um, third party who's not as close to it during the writing process comes in handy. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, so I am very good at um, proofreading or, or reading other people's work. When it comes to mine, I am the worst. I should be the last person proofreading my own work because of exactly what you said. It, you know, in your head, the way our brain works, I just see it as I want it to be seen. Mm -hmm. It's magic. And, uh, so I, I miss that, you know, and so I use this example when we go to, um, school visits, you know, when schools have a sin, I talk about this all the time because, you know, failure is a learning opportunity. And if we don't take risks, then we're not ever going to get anywhere. And so, you know, I use this example when I'm talking to kids at elementary schools that, you know, don't give up. I could have easily 
packed it in, been too embarrassed, you know, taking the book off, everything else. I corrected it, resubmitted it, <laughs> you know, did what I needed to do. Um, and then it was out there, you know, and then I ended up winning an award for it. I mean, it was, it was mortifying, but it's not the end of the world. Yeah, and you and got some collector's there, items floating around out there. What's that? I said, yeah, but now you got a few collector's items floating around out there. Oh, absolutely. There's probably, I think before I caught it, I don't know, over a hundred probably were like sold online. I was like, <laughs> so I'm just waiting for people to be like, Hey, look at this. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it, it's crazy. But from there, you know, we learned, okay, now we, we brought in an editor and we're starting to build up this team. And, and, you know, from there, like you said, we have kept going, you know, the, I dreamed I was series. Um, it's a lot of fun. You know, I, we had, I dreamed it was a bird was first. And that one was kind of, I don't know. It's, it, it, it's kind of heartfelt. You know, I, I dreamed it was a bird. You know, what would you see if you were a bird? Where would you go? Those kind of things. From there, we did a fun one called I Dreamed It Was a Reindeer, you know, which coincidentally came out right before Christmas. I mean, just a coincidence, of hmm, course. Sure. Um, a well-planned coincidence. <laughs> right. And that one was funny. And then the, the latest one, I Dreamed It Was a Turkey, is very funny. Um, and, of course, there's some. So, you know, we're, we're kind of going into the more um, humor genre just because um, it's more fun, quite honestly. It's a lot of fun. So the latest book we did, Alex and I actually co-wrote it together. It's called Dr. Ulysses J. Picklebottom's Guide to Everyday Household Monsters and How to Defeat Them. Um, this book has been just such a lot of fun. It's so different than our other ones. This one's actually like 104 pages. And uh, when we go to our school visits, it's great. We do a whole monster presentation. You know, we nice. have the kids help us design monsters that are going to appear in future books and we get very loud, great, and much to principal's dismay, I'm sure. Um, but we have a lot of fun, and it, it's, you know, it, it's going well. Alex and I both are so busy all the time. I don't know if we're going to have another one this year, but we're hoping to have another in the I Dreamed I Was series out this year. But uh, we're then, going strong. You know, we signed another author to the Jump Slash imprint. He has uh, three books out with us now which are all very well received and you know it's going well we're, we're very happy doing this it's a very nice creative outlet doing what we want and that would be the bump series which looks very entertaining because I'm, I'm perusing your website as we go over these and uh so yeah your guys's catalog has grown immensely and rather quickly i mean you started us what oh five oh six Actually, we started in 2015. Even even better. I mean, so yeah, it's been yeah. even a quicker ride than growing substantially since then. And yeah. so you have all that going. And one of the things you've you've brought up, in which I think anybody who listens to this who is successful or borderlining on that, I don't fancy myself successful yet, but I, I'm I'm well on my my road and path there. But key 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 things. One, hard work. And I think that's one of the things that uh, a lot of our population is suffering from these days, um, especially the younger group. I remember, gosh, probably about 10 years ago, um, I was talking to my girlfriend's brothers and sisters. They were 13 at the time. No, they were 16 at the time, and none of them had jobs. And um, my girlfriend's like, why don't you guys go get a job working somewhere? Like, well, we're not going to work fast food. It's like, well, why not? We both worked at right. Wendy's, and I say this so many times. It doesn't matter when you're young where you work. The more jobs you have, the more life skills you will learn, and the more it'll 
teach you and more benefit it'll have to whatever career path you end up in the future. And I know you yeah. you worked at Wendy's, right? So I actually I worked at Fazoli. Yes, Fazoli's that's, that's right. You and Michael yeah. P. Thompson. And yeah. but but you can relate to this. One of the things I, I always use about the Wendy's thing is one of my jobs was to clean the dining room and the restroom. And I don't know what goes on in the ladies' restrooms that makes them believe it's New Year's Eve every night, but the <laughs> floors were constantly covered with shredded toilet paper. Well, if your job as a 17, 18, 19-year-old cat is to clean a restroom that has been used by probably a 1,000 people every day, cleaning your bathroom at your apartment when you're 19 on a Saturday, not so bad. Right. <laughs> cleaning a stove that's made 2,000, 3,000, 5,000 hamburgers that day, every day. Sucks. Cleaning your stove or microwave on a Saturday? Not so bad. And so you right. learn life skills from even the most mundane job. And so the more jobs you have, starting at an early age, even if they're unglamorous, um, it's it's going to help you. Not, not to mention customer service, interacting with people, which I think is going to be a huge problem. Uh, social I interaction has gone away. I remember... About two years ago on the radio, we did a story about, I think it was the Washington State Police Department. They're having issues with their new cadets at the police academy. None of them had social skill. And being a police officer, you have to know how to talk to people. And so they would make them go down to the mall in plain clothes on a Saturday and make them talk to strangers. Oh, wow. Just so they would learn how to interact with people because that's like job one as a police officer. If you can't talk to a complete stranger, you're in the wrong field of work. I mean, you're, you're absolutely right. And, you know, part of this, too, is the way that um, since, you know, No Child Left Behind up to now, like these kids have grown up in an environment where you have to know what you need to know to pass the test. And sort of the process of how to learn has been pushed aside by the very nature of our education system now. So what colleges are finding that students are very good at one thing. Mm-hmm. When they have to sort of think outside that box and be creative, they struggle. And, you know, it's the same thing with these, the, the social skills, too. You know, with the advent of, by the way, I'm so glad we didn't have cell phones and social media when we were in high school. Can yeah. you imagine? I know. We had beepers, and even those were contraband. I remember to this day, I, I used to cut a hole in the pocket of my pants so I could put the beeper on the inside so that the teachers wouldn't see the clip <laughs> and take it away. That's fantastic. Because back yeah, then, you know, if you had a pager and you're 16, you must be a drug dealer. At least that's what they all oh, thought. Yeah. I had a pager. Well, I got a pager for my 16th birthday that was the size of my entire hand. It was mm-hmm. one of those huge ones that you could read the text across. Mm-hmm. You remember those bad yep. boys? Yep. Unbelievable. But, uh, yeah, and, you know, now with, with texting, people have really lost the art of having a one-on-one conversation. Or in person, and I see it all the time. Um, you know, with a friend, so I have a friend whose daughter is a teenager, and you know, she is like best friends with people via text or FaceTime. Yep, when you get them together, it's like they're complete strangers. It is the strangest thing I've ever seen, mm-hmm. and it's you're right. I mean, it, it, it's scary, and, and maybe it's just us being old curmudgeons, but I don't know. How, you know, it's a scary prospect to think about where we're going uh, in the future because, you know, hard work has kind of been, I don't know, it may, it feels like it's been demonized a little oh, bit. Oh, absolutely. Maybe, 
you know, I mean, but it's, it's the only way you're ever going to make it. Yeah. You know, I, it, it, it's the only way I've made it to where I am. And just like you said, I am definitely not, um, successful yet. I think I have made strides toward being that way, but I'm working every single day. I was working right up to the minute mm-hmm. you called me. Yep. Um, and I'm going to be working again after we're done. And that's, you know, and it's just, and that's number two on that list. Uh, long yeah. hours. If you're one of these cats, um, who thinks, well, I put in my eight hours. Don't ask anything else of me. That's great. Um, don't expect to get much further out of the position you're currently in. Um, don't definitely don't expect to ever start your own business or become, um, don't expect to find a way outside of maybe sitting around. If you're lucky enough to have a YouTube channel where you have 85,000 people watch you sleep, like some video game guy I heard about last week, uh, people actually watching right. him sleep. But anyhow, unless you have a YouTube channel cause you're play, good at playing video games. If you're actually in the work industry, if you're an eight hour day, Jay, Good on you, but um, be prepared to have a, a pretty low pay ceiling. And definitely don't be the guy who likes to include in his vocabulary the phrase that will definitely kill your uh, job potentials. Hey, that wasn't in the job description because employers <laughs> love to hear that. Right. But you got hard work, long hours, and self-motivation. Yeah. I mean, it, it is what it is. You have to set a goal. Like, you know, I am... Um, also in the bar business mm-hmm. and to be honest, I was not expecting, um, the amount of energy and effort that I have put into it. That's why I, I was not expecting that. Well, how did you make and, that transition? How did that come about? So when I, when my education ride was over, um, I had some buddies in Youngstown who were opening a, self-service craft beer barn which is very cool so yeah so um it's called whistle and keg and so it's not prepay you know there are some places where you can put 20 bucks on a card and that can get you beer so it's not that so you know you everything's pay as you go it's connected to your wristband um it's a really good time and so they are opening this bar and i had been working there a day or two a week just to make some extra money on the side um and as I was transitioning out of education, I told them, I'm like, hey, guys, listen, I, I don't think I'm going to be able to continue on here. I'm going to have to. I thought what I was going to do was go try to be a train conductor <laughs> for a lot of that sound. I was just trying to think about things I could do that might interest me and make me happy. And I really love to travel. And, you know, who doesn't like trains? So I was like, oh, maybe I'll go try that. They said, well, listen, we've got an offer for you. Why don't you come on board with us? And here we are. Um, and the, the, always the plan was to keep expanding. So we have now opened in Cleveland. We opened in Cleveland in March, have one in Youngstown and actually Columbus. Will be nice. Homecoming. Yeah. Yeah, man. So I'm really excited for that. But, you know, when I first came on board, I, you know, I worked at Fazoli's. I did some fast food stuff, but I had never really been in the industry before. Um, now I have been the patron of many a bar in my day, mm-hmm. don't get me wrong, but you know, as far as from the working side of it, I wasn't. And so I was really unprepared for the amount once we expanded to Cleveland and now Columbus for the amount of energy and effort and, um, you know, quickly had to, to learn a lot of things. And 
you know, there's a lot of times where I'm working right up to the time I can't anymore. I go to sleep, pop up in the morning, right back at it. And it's because I know I have a goal where I want to get. And if you don't keep to the grind and keep pursuing, you're never, we're never going to get there. Preach. You know, things are going to fall. And, you know, oh, what I have always cautioned myself is, you know, there are things like tonight I got to get our newsletter out. You know, it goes out to hundreds and hundreds of people. I constantly have to guard against myself like, ah, uh, I can let that sit another day, you know, everything nope. else. Because there's important things that they could drive business in there. And, you know, I, I always try to remember, you know, don't put off till tomorrow what you can get done today. I used to be oh. a gold medalist procrastinator. Middle school, yeah. high school, all the way up until I was, honestly, until I was 20, 23. Um, ironically, you, you know, we're very kind of, I like, was like, if you're on a trajectory line, I was like three rungs below you. Uh, you're a paramedic. I actually built ambulances for Horton for two and a half years. <laughs> and so after 9-11 and, you know, nine of our trucks got destroyed, I went through a divorce and um, I was sitting at home. I got fired from Horton because, well, I was out drinking every night instead of showing up to work. And so I was sitting on my 401k and I was sitting on my computer, just, just learning at computers. And my dad's like, he's living out in California. He's like, well, what do you want to do with your life? You know, you're divorced. You're living off your 401k. I said, you know, I spend eight eight to 12 hours a day. Now, this is back in 2000. This is before the whole world went computer crazy. I said, you know, I, I spend eight hours a day on my computer. Miles will get paid for it. I don't know what it is, but I hear these commercials about A-plus and MCP. Maybe I can do something with that. And he's like, well, you can find another job, pay rent, stay in the same town with your ex-wife, or move out to Long Beach, California, live with me for free, and I'll pay for your school. Well, hmm, I packed up <laughs> my bags and I moved to Beverly but um, it's just it's all about procrastination. You got to get rid of. Um, don't even let that in your vocabulary. And you could probably agree with this because one of the things people ask me is how do you do it? Because up until recently, I worked. I've been doing the IT stuff. Me and my father started this business in '04. Um, then things got a little rough in '08, um, but we still we made it through. Then I got the job, which fell in my lap working in radio. So I was, I'd get up at four, five in the morning, work computers until noon, drive 33 miles to the radio station, work there until six, drive 33 miles home, sometimes go home and eat and then go to the gym or go back to work doing server rollouts until 12 and one in the morning. And people are like, well, how do you do it? How do you find time? And here's a little advice. And I'm sure Christopher can agree with this because I, I imagine he lives his life the same way. I do service work for a living. My job is to be at certain places at a certain time, usually an hour to an hour and a half at a span. And so I treat everything in my life like a service job, whether it's doing a podcast, whether it's doing a service job, whether it's going to the gym, whether it's getting up in the morning and running, whether it's spending time with the family, what have you, which I know that sounds horrible, but it's the only way you can live your life. Short-term goals, key and I plan. I look at everything like a job. When I get home, I eat dinner. Yeah, I want to sit around and relax and watch American Pickers for the next three hours. But I tell myself, well, I got to. I got to do an hour at the gym, or I can't go to sleep. And so I treat it like a job. And treating it like an an hour job is just. It's easier to check off the list. It's just one more thing you have to get done before you're done. And so I just put everything on the calendar, and I just treat it like one more job I have to do before the day is done. 
and you do that long enough and it just becomes muscle memory and before you know it you're able to do it more and more and if you can work in more and more things that may trickle in a little more, bit more money when you're doing them before you know things get a little bit easier in life yeah you know if I had one piece of advice and you just mentioned this is to use the technology you have as a tool mm-hmm. you know my cell phone is the only way I can keep straight everything I need to do and when to do it. Yep. Um, whether it's my, you know, all of my shared calendars, everything I need in there, and what I have started doing in the last couple of months. This has completely changed my life. So I'm a very, I'm a very list-oriented person. So if I just kind of feel like I have a million things to do, I don't know where to start. I have to just sit down and make a list. Here's why I have to do this, 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 and this. Well, I kept it on paper. Then I'm going to lose the paper or something would happen, mm-hmm. right? I started using the reminder alerts in my, my iPhone. It has changed. It, it has changed my productivity to the nth degree. I mean, no longer am I afraid about what I forgot. Oh, I got to do this, this, and this. Like, I just set a reminder every hour. Do this. Do this. Do this. It pops up. It doesn't go away until you do it and cook it off. And I have been encouraging my own children to use it you know we have these are these are tools these aren't just things that you know have fun with on facetime you sure. use them as a tool for productivity and to help your life it has made such a difference in my life and i'm sure as i continue on that that will keep evolving but you know that is one thing that you know most people especially young people now have an iphone or a smartphone use it to help you in your productivity for your career and your Absolutely. aspiration I couldn't agree with you more. I was just thinking a while back I stumbled across a theory that I've been trying to adopt and I've tried to spread through my podcast. And let me know what you think. There are two types of people in life. There are the this is going to suck people and that sucked people. And let me explain. (laughs) Everybody, we're all the same. We all have something on our calendar that we do not want to do. If you are a this is going to suck person, you're the type of person who continues to kick that thing down the calendar, procrastinating, putting it off. And while you're doing that, you're complaining to everybody who is willing to listen about how bad this, whatever it may be, whether it's mowing the grass, getting a root canal, whatever, filing taxes, this is going to suck, I don't want to do it, this is going to suck, I don't want to do it, man, this is going to suck. All you're doing is making that, whatever it is, a thousand times worse. You're also bringing down everybody around you, making their lives worse. Or you can be a, well, that suck person. And that's the person who knows it's on the calendar. They ignore it. They do all the planning that needs to be done to get the job done. They suck it up. They do the job. Once the job's done, they step back and they say, wow, that sucked. And then they move on through life. It's over. <laughs> it takes less yeah. energy to be a, well, that sucked. You're talking to a guy who's six foot five, who lives in Florida, and sometimes has to crawl around the attics of businesses that are about, all oh, I don't know, four and a half feet and 130 degrees right. to run Cat 6 cable and or security cameras. Now, I can dread that and run my entire week thinking, well, i got to do that job on Friday. This is going to suck. Or I can just look at the calendar, buy all the hardware I need, and then once it's done and I'm covered in insulation, rat feces, and sweat, and say, wow, that sucked. Okay, what else do I got on the schedule? And it doesn't affect your life half as bad. You're less stress, less anxiety, and your wife's not mad at you for running her day. So which person exactly. do you want to be? I really like that. I'm going to totally steal that from you. 
so you know. I Steal it, it. Um, <laughs> change the wordage a little bit, and put it in a children's book, and I'd love to read it. That's right. You know what? Uh, deal. We'll, we'll work on that. But Maybe, like, don't a be a... Fellow... Oh, here you go. Don't be a downer Donnie. Fix it something like that. <laughs> yeah, I love it. And, you know, as a fellow six-foot-fiver, I uh, totally empathize with, with you crawling into tight spaces. I'll send you a uh, friend invite from my Facebook group called It's a Short Man's World, I'm Just Living in It. Yes, please. I guess... People don't realize, like, you know, hey, why do you drive a truck when you like a Prius? Yeah, you know, I would love to get 50 miles a gallon. You know, <laughs> I don't fit. Why do you take a bath? Are you a girl? No, it's called because I grew up in Columbus, and the first apartment I had when I was 18 was built in 1970, and the shower head hit me in this belly button, and so I'd have to get on my knees to take a shower, so it was easier just to sit in the bathtub and take a bath, and I've gotten used to it. No, I was going to say, my wife thinks I look like Will Ferrell and Elf yeah. when he's trying to take a shower. Yep. That, that's what she compares me to. <laughs> Why do you have scars on your knuckles? Oh, because back in the 70s and 80s, the fad was to take stucco on a paintbrush and stab the ceiling with it so stalactites came down. And so whenever I changed my t-shirts, I would drag my knuckles across the ceiling and cut them all up. I could go on for days. It's a short man's world. We're just living in it. That's exactly right. Don't even get me started on trying to find long sleeve shirts. Well, can't you just buy a double oh. extra large? Why? So I can look like I'm wearing a maternity shirt? Right. They flare out in no, the stomach. They flare out. It looks ridiculous. Can't you go to a big and tall store? Yeah, and pay a 60% markup? Ah. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you, I, I, I'm not trying to give them a plug, but you know what I have found that my, my fashion needs have been greatly met of late is the uh, Eddie Bauer outlet. I was going to say outlet store. Yeah. It, it doesn't yeah, even have to I be mean, outlet. They, I mean, at Eddie have. Bauer, just outlet in general. I go to Bell's outlet. Yeah. Because you'll find like a size 32, 35 <laughs> in length. Yeah. They have long, like tall sizes. Mm -hmm. And I feel like, and I, I joke about my wife this, like I feel like an actual human being now. Like, you know, the shirt, I'm not, I'm not wearing a belly shirt. The, you know, the sleeves fit. It's amazing. All the size. Now, I do have small feet. I wear a 10 and a half to 11. But all you people looking for size 14s, they're at the outlet stores because the main stores couldn't move them. So you can get them at a half a price at the outlet store. I'm not getting plugs, but I buy Wrangler jeans brand new for $12.50 at Bell's Outlet, and I buy brand new Levi's 504s and 507s for $25. So not only am I finding jeans that fit, but I'm paying three-quarters less than you guys are paying at your regular highfalutin stores where you find clothes for short people at. So win-win on my part. Right, yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, the great thing about outlets, too, is, like, for some reason – Everything's like 50, 60, or 70% off at all times. I mean, it's an amazing thing. Mm -hmm. So you got the book thing going. You got the bar yeah. thing going. Right. You're loving life. You're a very patriotic fella. I see your uh, Fourth of July photos every year. They're great. You're, oh, uh, thank you. Yeah, you know, we. Uh, I take the Fourth of July very seriously. You know, it's, uh, it's by far my favorite holiday. I make my kids listen to old patriotic songs the whole way down on the trip. And... Uh, <laughs> We, uh, it's great. So uh, my buddy um, lives on the parade route in, uh, in Upper Arlington, and so we watch the parade. And then after, we have what's called the Patriot Games, where it's just a bunch of yard games, but we compete for medals and all that stuff. And, you know, I take it very seriously. I'm in it to win it, man. And I know you were heartbroken, much like I was. Um, for you serious satellite listeners, you ever figured out the scheme that you can hear the 80s on 8 and the 60s on 6? And the 90s on 9. But some reason, let's kick the 40s down to 238. Why is everybody hating on our 40s music? I get so much crap for listening to 40s music. It's like, what's wrong with it? 
What's wrong with the Andrews sisters? It, it, it's it's the best music, and I was so, I went off on a rant for days about that. I think I even put it on Facebook. Mm-hmm. <laughs> said, you know, in a world where the forties is kicked off, where the Pitbull Station is not a world I want to live in, yeah, or whatever. You know, like it's uh, I listen to it all the time, and I absolutely love it. And you know, there's something not to go off completely on a whole different tangent, but you know, as a uh, reenactor, like I think you'll get it. Like there's just something about that era that is so nostalgic that I can't even explain it and I'm just completely drawn to it well I, I've mentioned this on my my Waterman D trench show um, I use this as an example of and we used to hear it when we were kids and we didn't understand but are the dumbing down of music well let's look at it we won't even go back to the 1800s and the you know it's 20s but let's just start in the 40s in the 40s if you wanted to make music you either had to be an idiot savant or you had to be classic what we what we call classically trained to read music and to play an instrument. In order to make music yeah. you had to have some intelligence when it came to reading music, understanding bridges, um, courses, verses, the whole nine yards to actually create music. Fast forward to the sixties, eh, you still had to know how to play guitar, drums and all that. Seventies uh, rolled around it fewer fewer notes then heavy metal came out with the power chord fast forward to 2019 where you don't even all you have to do is learn how to do a computer and have a sense of time and a sense of rhythm and you can make music and so yes technically we have and now i think they say the average pop hip-hop song has the reading level of a fourth grader so yes music has been dumbed down tremendously and for those of you who say well it's so stick in the mud, 1940s music. Really? Have you listened to the Andrews Sisters, All's Fair and Love and War? Those girls are basically saying, hey, if you don't go out there and sleep with that fella, I'm going to before Betty Joe down the street does. So that was pretty risque music. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And, you know, it was much more nuanced. Mm-hmm. It wasn't out in your face. It was the art of subtlety, for sure. And the other one I like to point out, everybody's familiar with the Boogie Woogie Bugle Boy for Company B. But if you listen to the lyrics, you might be surprised to find out that the Boogie Woogie Bugle Boy from Company B couldn't keep time. He was a great trumpet player, but the sergeant had to go out and draft him a band because he couldn't play for a crap by himself. <laughs> right. And so the plot lines are there. And it's, it's, I don't know, I just, I love that music. And I and I always find it's interesting when you, you, you talk to people, what do you listen to? Oh, I listen to everything. And then they actually have a very minute catalog of what they actually listen to. Whereas when I tell people I listen to everything, I really do from 1940s to, you know, outlaw country to hip hop to everything. So I don't know. That's just my little tangent when it comes to music. As I look around, you'd probably be jealous. I'm sitting here staring at three uh, artifacts of Lucky Strikes right now. Oh my God, I am jealous. And you know, here is a great story for you about Lucky Strikes. Now, first of all, I have a replica of Lucky Strikes from the um, in Conneaut, Ohio. You know, they do a mm-hmm. day reenactment. Yeah, that's on my uh, and- bucket list. Uh, uh the, it, it's it's fantastic. Did you go last year? Yes, I did. Okay, and the when they, all the when tanks they, uh, fired that eighty-eight. I about pooped my pants. All the tanks down there, Rabbi Robin and his his yeah. crew. Those are my guys. Yep. Um, my first infantry division. We actually train with them. They are outside of uh Orlando, and I actually okay. train with them. I know Rabbi Rob. I'm very familiar with all his tanks. And if you look on YouTube, uh, Military Collector Season Two, Episode One. They film out at uh, Rabbi Rob's farm, and you will see me in the opening scenes. I'm the guy whose helmet fell off, who's dragging his wounded comrade back. But, yeah, I actually have the um, pure 
benefit of working with those guys. And so that has been on my bucket list. I really wanted to get up there this year with it being a 75th anniversary, but I had the pure privilege of being taken out to um, Fredericksburg, Texas two months ago to the National Museum of the Pacific War to participate in their living history event for the weekend. And so I don't know financially I'm going to be able to make it up to Connie this year, but it definitely is on, is on my bucket list, and maybe I can make it next year. Yeah, it's incredible. So I have a uh, you know a reconstructed like Lucky Strike that I keep in my truck at all times. But a couple years ago, this is I don't know four years ago now. Uh, I was living in Columbus at the time, and it was an old house. It was built in 1949. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was just an old crappy house. And finally, like, you know, our, our air was getting through. And so I, I called people in to um, clean out the vent. So they were in there for a while. And when he was done, the guy came in and was like, hey, uh, when was the last time these vents were clean? I was like, I don't know, man, honestly. You know, he's like, well, I don't think they've ever been cleaned. And I was like, what do you mean never been cleaned? He's like, I don't think these have ever been cleaned since this house was built. He's like, look at this. He pulled out an event, a full pack of Lucky Strike cigarettes. White or green pack? What's that? White pack or green pack? It was a green pack. Do you still have it? it? I do. I have it somewhere around. Cellophane still intact? Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's not like a mint. It doesn't matter. The reason not, the reason I bring that up, the green pack was a limited rollout that was for world war ii because they thought for a limited time well we don't want guys walking around in the in the field with white cigarette packs and so if they there is a substantial price difference and believe it or not there is a market not that you want to sell it but it's always nice to know something has value there is a substantial yeah. price difference between a unopened white pack of lucky strikes and the green pack especially to the world war ii market and so that's even oh, wow. cooler that it's a green pack yeah they still oh, make man. white packs um, they're $10 a pack and I do buy them. Um, I quit smoking. I'm not a daily smoker anymore, but I still do smoke either camel non-filters or lucky strike non-filters during my reenactments. But at $10 a pack, it's a little painful. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So the, the state, uh, the stamp tax, I think it was like two cents. I think was the, the tax on it. I mean, it's, it was the old pack, but I was, you know, being, uh, you know, just a, fascinated by world war ii and just that sort of era and you know, like of course i was like kid in a candy store i was like oh my god look at this did you look at the bottom where it says lsmst if i will need to find that if you look at the bottom i know the white packs have it on yeah. there. i'm not sure if the green ones do but you, do you know what that means no lucky strikes means fine tobacco and usually ah. it's stamped on the bottom of the pack it'll say lsmst and that's all it says Toasted. so there is a little uh, history for you actually it's funny I know this is the Fail to Fail podcast, but since we're on the topic, I just rolled out t-shirts and I have, um, I'm giving away some stickers for the What's the Scuttlebutt. I just spent last week in Make and they look like the logo off the White Lucky Strikes pack with the red, the green, the gold circle around it. And so That's cool. to make it look like the logo, I made What's the Scuttlebutt podcast a run-on word. So it's instead of What's the, it's What's the is one word and then Scuttlebutt's one word. And then instead of it's toasted, it says in stereo. And then at the bottom, instead of cigarettes, it says World War II based podcast, all one word. So that it looks like the Lucky Strikes logo. It's pretty, pretty funny. And I, I enjoy it. 
I love it, and I will be tuning in. You know, I drive to Cleveland many times during the week, and I'm constantly trying to find podcasts I enjoy. Well, I will send you the link to that. It, we, all these podcasts, Fail to Fail, Waterman D-Train, and the What's the Scuttlebutt, we're on all of your um, outposts. We're on the iTunes. Now, I know iTunes is going away. Now they're launching Apple Podcasts, but Apple Podcasts, uh, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, um, all of them. Pandora has gotten to the podcast game, but they literally make you fill out a manifesto of why you should be on their their system. So I'm not there yet, but anywhere else, the yeah. Spotify's, all that stuff, we're there. Wow, Christopher, yeah. what other than uh, expanding Whistling Keg and uh, coming up with more authors for um, Jumps? By the way, where did the name? Who? Where, how did the name Jump Splash come to be? Uh, so, you know, we were trying to think of a name for the company. And, you know, I'm going to give Alex credit for this one. So he was listening to a, a uh, some sort of presentation by Neil deGrasse Tyson. And he was talking about the sense of wonder. Like, if you look up the sky, you see these wonder, mm-hmm. right? And that's kind of the thing the Tree Watcher touches on. And, you know, we we really wanted to capture that. And he was saying, you know, even doing it something as simple as jumping in a puddle, and watching the ripples and everything else can cause such wonder and everything else. And Alex is like, man, I really love that. What if we called it like jumping, you know, dancing in the rain pie or something? But we came to a conclusion. Um, both of us together, we just kind of thought, you know, jump splash. And, uh, you know, we thought about, um, I really like our, our logo now. It's kind of the, yep. you know, silhouette of a kid jumping into a book with a splash coming out of the book. And, uh, that's where we are because you know it's uh and we kind of just added the fun tagline like adding a splash of imagination. Yeah, and, and it's uh, funny. I I have heard his little Neil deGrasse Tyson speech on that, and he actually goes as far as saying, you know, he's kind of talking to parents. He's like, don't interfere with that. Um, you see a kid right. about ready to drop an egg, let him drop it. There's education to be there. What happens when something as rigid as an egg hits the floor and shatters? Or what happens when you jump in a puddle and the residual of the mud is staining? He's like, yes, it's inconvenient because you got to do the laundry. Or yes, it's inconvenient because you got to clean up the egg. But there's so much to be learned for that child in that moment of what happens when the the water gets on the clothes and it creates a stain or it, you know, or the egg and all that. And so that's very cool that you, you said that because I, I have heard him give a version or two of that um, speech in multiple interviews. And uh, so what's on the horizon for you? I mean, you can't, I, when you're burning candles at both ends, there's always two or three more <laughs> candles in the box. So you have yeah. any other things you are wanting to get, um, you know, checked off your list? Yeah. You know, I have been playing around. So I think I mentioned earlier, like I really, really enjoyed my time as a, a educational tour guide in Washington, DC. Mm-hmm. And um, so my buddy, Sean and I, who I used to be a history teacher with, we did um, a bunch of videos called the History Geeks, and we, you know, we went to various places throughout Ohio. We even did a live stream from D.C. and like we put together these really cool videos. Like I put together a lot of series called like Field Tripping, where you know we had a lot, a lot of low-income kids, so sure. like kids that couldn't afford to go to places like Serpent Mound or you know, like we went there and we did the video like a field trip for them, um, and I absolutely love doing that and. Uh, you know, we have, I think we, we have them up on the web. I think it's historygeeksonline.com where we have some of our videos and, and productions up there. And, you know, some of them are very, you know, we technologically speaking, you know, <laughs> very basic. 
to where we got to the point where we were going to start getting pretty good. I even got to the point um, where I was getting ready to be able to have a whole camera and media guy and do these things. And we never got to not to see it through. But, you know, I have been thinking a lot about trying to do something like that again. And, and maybe if it's just traveling and doing history trips and putting them up on videos and doing that stuff. And, you know, because I have seen like a lot of we did a lesson, I mean, years ago, I think it was like 2011 where we did the difference between primary and secondary sources. Sure. And if I Google it today, it's used in teacher's lesson plans. That's awesome. Like, I, you know, and so if it, it, I've been thinking a lot about trying to maybe do something like that and get back into it, and, you know, it's pro- probably give it another go here when I can. <laughs> well, Christopher, thank you so much for coming on our show. Uh, it's been great to have you. Yeah. It's been great catching up with you, man. We need to stay in touch. I got your phone number now. Uh, for those of you listening, yeah. you want to get uh, some of his books, it's jumpsplashbooks.com. As always, whenever we do these podcasts, um, I will create a page with all the pertinent links to all the places you need to go. I will link to the website, to the Facebook page. You guys have Instagram, I would assume? Yes, we do. I will. I will At jumpsplashbooks. I will get everything up there. Thank you so much for your time. And, hey, man, if you want any history stuff, if you want to collaborate on anything, man, um, I'm, I'm down like four flat tires, not to sound too old. But, um, <laughs> yeah, just hit me up, man. You need anything that I can help you out with or, you know, you need some uh, World War II stuff or anything, just hit me up and we'll, we'll, make, we'll sort something out. We'll make it work. I will absolutely do that, man. I appreciate that. I will look forward to that. And if you and thanks for much for having me on your phone. Like you said, it's been great catching up, man. You know, twenty two years. Yeah. Maybe been, next time we'll like uh that. maybe ten years from now we'll we'll make it shorter. But <laughs> hey, if That's you and the family I know I know how you northerners are about coming down to Florida on all your fancy vacations. So if you find yourself <laughs> in the you know, Orlando, Tampa or anywhere below that, you know, south of that, uh hit me up and um I'll come out and meet you somewhere. Uh, you know what? I will be there later this year, so I'm going to shoot you a text. Fantastic, man. Thanks so much, and okay. uh, talk to you soon. Okay, man. Thank you. Appreciate Bye-bye. it. Talk to you soon.